Welcome back to episode number 21 of the NP Dude. I am Jeff, the NP Dude, giving nurse practitioners a voice, and that is all of our voices. So keep those questions and comments coming. Let me be your mouthpiece. Let me let me help get the word out of what topics you guys want to talk about and hear about. So uh, don't forget, you can always get me on email, jeff at the npdude.com. You can check me out on Facebook, at the npdude. And um, like and share as much as possible. You guys are doing a great job. Yesterday was uh, Sunday, and usually on the weekends there's a little bit of a dip because I think people tend to turn turn towards their families for the weekend. And and um, I'm not gonna lie, it was the 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 highest number of downloads I've had yet was yesterday, and it was it was like like I want to say 50% higher than the previous high day. So it was awesome. You guys are really starting to spread the word out there. And um, I really appreciate it. I'm having a blast with this show. And just it's great to be able to communicate with a lot of people all over the country with different issues that are going on and getting a, a decent amount of emails on almost a daily basis of different things that are going on out there. And uh, I'm learning a ton of what what other states are doing. And um what what other practitioners are looking for and so so it's been a really great experience for me so i, I encourage you to, to do the same and um get get involved and start start commenting start spreading the word and uh i think that's gonna gonna really help our profession and our community as well so um some of the things i wanted to talk about today and and the biggest one and, and probably going to take the majority of the time to talk about will be with respect to um, a comment that came on on, the, on one of the Facebook forums, and it was a question about what should I do? Should I form an LLC for my my nurse practitioner uh, practice, uh, or should I do something like a corporation or an S corp? And it was a it was specific for S corp. And I and I always cringe a little bit when I see someone say, "Should I form an LLC or an S corp?" And 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 I. I it, it bothers me. It shouldn't. I, you know, I just don't know why it does, but it does, right? And it's because an S corp is a tax designation. It's not really an actual formed entity. It's just how the tax, how the IRS code allows you to file the information uh, for your company. But although that wasn't really what the the intended question was, it was what should I do? How should I protect myself from? Um, doing business and, and, and protect my, you know, my house and my car and all my personal bank accounts and things like that from someone coming after them. If I'm out there in business, how do I do it? And, and it was a good question because there's a lot of people that I think get good advice, but they don't really understand why they're doing what they're doing. And as a practitioner, I'm not sure it really matters too much what form you go with. And I'll explain why in a moment. Um, when you, Go to an attorney and an, an accountant, a tax attorney and an accountant, and um, uh, you want to get things set up for a company. It doesn't matter what the company it is, what you do. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be healthcare related at all. So say, say you want to build chimneys or you want to um, make shoes or be a nurse practitioner. It doesn't matter. You want to do something that's going to protect yourself, and you want to do it in a way that's going to be organized so that you can, you know, it's not uh, overly burdensome to you, and you can do it in a way that's that it's pretty smooth. So, what's the big picture? Why do we care, right? Well, you could always be a sole proprietor. That's an option as a practitioner. That's maybe not what I would do, but you could. Um, and think about it this way. A sole proprietor is just you going out and doing things for people and claiming it on your personal income tax. 
And so you can do that. And all the expenses that you incur in doing your business, you can write off on your taxes. Um, you have to make sure you're following the rules. But it's essentially the same as being a, corp a corporation or an LLC. You get that same uh, taxation, so to speak, that gets that gets to you in some form or fashion. Now, the big picture <clears throat> of types of organizations that you can do, you have the limited liability company. These came came in vogue in, in I want to say, probably the 90s, 80s and 90s, the LLC, right? Everybody's got an LLC. And the reason for that is it was relatively inexpensive to, to um to set up. They're usually very basic in structure. In other words, if you have multiple partners, you could have articles of organization, which is basically just the contract between you and all the other people on how you're going to do daily operations, who's going to make decisions, who has more ownership and not, and it gives a schedule of that. And then some of the other more specific things like what happens if you know somebody dies and we want to... Uh, you know, does this company go to the other person's heirs or do we want to make a forced buyout of that and you have to pay the estate a certain percentage? Or um, what if you just want to buy out of the con of, of the, the company? Or what if you just hate each other and it doesn't work? Or what if you want to dissolve it? So there's a whole bunch of things about that. But in most practices, like say you just want to open up your own practice and go do it, you don't need all those articles of organization because you're, what, who are you going to do, fight with yourself? You're going to terminate yourself. You're going to buy yourself out. It just it doesn't make any sense. So it it was an easy way for people to set up a company, and it was a, an effective way, and it did limit liability. It's even built into the name, right? So why did the LLCs come about? Well, originally you had to file before the LLCs in limited partnerships and the other. There's a whole bunch of strain of different ones other than that. Um, they you had to file as a corporation. And the problem with the corporation back in the day, back in the 80s, before the LLC, was that the, co the corporation was treated as its own entity. So it was like a living, breathing being. So the corporation would pay a corporate tax on your profits, and then you would end up paying yourself a salary in which you would pay personal income tax. So basically, as a small company, if you were a corporation – in general terms back in the day, you got double taxed and it wasn't fair. So they came out with the LLC, which which basically from a from a tax standpoint, the LLC is pure pass through taxation. So all it does is limit your liability, but it allows the taxes the, the money to flow directly to you. So it's the same as a sole proprietor basically. You file a different form, it's a K one, schedule K one, and it's basically a, like a schedule C. It's the same kind of thing. And you just do all your your ins on one side and all your expenses on the other side, and what your difference is you pay your taxes on and blah 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 blah. Right? So it's it's pretty much the same kind of the setup as a sole proprietor for taxing, but you get the, the benefits of the corporate liability limitations of the corporation. So that's why it's a little bit different than the corporation. Now, back in the day, they came up with this thing that through the IRS that well, it wasn't fair that small companies, mom and pop shops that were set up as a as a corporation would be double taxed. It just wasn't fair because now you got all these LLCs out there that are, you know, inadvert, you know, just uh, through through good means and good purposes are getting you out of more tax is really what it did. So they came out with this this um, classification of an S corp or small corp or whatever they call it instead of a C corp. So a C corp, the corporation still pays taxes. An S corp 
it basically the corporation doesn't pay taxes and it passes through just like a sole proprietor, just like an LLC. So functionally, they are exactly the same thing. It's just you're using a different form through the IRS. There's really no benefit of one over the other. So whatever you want to do is fine. You could do it. Now, when you, when you file with the Secretary of State in your state, you have to be a little bit careful because you might be able to save a little bit of money because a corporation filing may be a little bit more expensive than, say, an LLC and vice versa. So if it were me, I would go the cheaper. <laughs> I'm just cheap. I would pay the cheapest one. And in Ohio, an LLC costs you about 125 bucks to file. And then you get your LLC in the name that you want. And that's it. And it's your company name. And then, and then after that, what do you do? You go down, you, you file with the, uh, the federal government, uh, in, uh, SS4, I believe, which is your, uh, EIN number. And it's a phone call. It takes about two minutes or five minutes or whatever. And you, you get your EIN number for your new company you just created. And then what do you do? You go to your bank account and you, you're to your bank and you set up a bank account in your, in your corporate, in your new company name. That's it. That's, that's basically it. That's how you, you start a company. It's done. And go get business cards. <laughs> and then the rest in healthcare, it's a pain in the ass after that. I mean, don't, I'm, I'm oversimplifying it just so you understand the mechanisms of the different types of companies. But in reality, they're pretty much the same thing. I mean, they're really not going to be much different. There's a little bit more administrative BS that you have to do with a corporation, especially um, because you have to designate number of shares and, and, and the, the, um, Articles of incorporation are a little bit different in that you may have to, uh, depending on your state, have to have meetings and notes and and uh, board hearings and things like that. So if you if you go that route, then you may have more documentation of bullcrap that you got to do just to stay compliant. And and um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of. There, I mean, literally, there's there's classes upon classes in law school on corporations and liability companies and part limited partnerships and all this stuff. So there's a lot more to it than that, obviously. But but from the from the perspective of the basic, you know, which one do I want to go with? It it really doesn't matter. I, I, the LLC is a nice, easy form to fill out. It's like a two page thing, and it's. I mean, you don't need to hire an attorney to do that. It's really really easy. Um, you know, just make sure you do it for whatever purpose you you put in there. I never put the purpose of the company because uh, if I want to use that company name and switch the purpose, then I can do so without having to refile with the state and pay them more money. And it's none of their business. It doesn't really matter to them. They don't care. They don't. You don't have to put the purpose for it. And then you have to name your statutory agents and all that stuff. And that's basically so that. If somebody is doing business with you and wants to sue you, it gives a place for an attorney to go get your statutory agent, and that way any service of process for claims or any, any complaints or letters or whatever that you want to write to that company about a potential lawsuit, you've got the contact, and that's mandatory. So you have to put that. You can't use a P.O. box and any of that stuff. you got to actually use a physical address. So some people may be able to get your physical address if you do that, and that might be a concern to you. So you can have your attorney be a statutory agent for you, and they can field all those questions. You just have to trust the, that attorney because if you fire them, you have to refile later with the state. So it's a lot of information about that, right? I mean, it seems it seems like a, a big deal of why to do it. Now, here's here's the big picture of why you would want to. 
So we go back to my hypothetical where you're making shoes or, or something, right? And I make, you know, a million pairs of shoes a year and I, you know, screwed up a couple pair and some people got deformed feet and now they want to sue me for it and it's my fault. It's obviously my fault. Well, you're going to have insurance. So that's put that on a shelf and say, I've already got insurance, but just in case something happens with my insurance and I get sued. Can they get my house? Can they get my car? Can they get you know all my personal stuff? Well, a limited liability company and a corporation, if you're on the up and up, and it's not just a shell corporation or a shell LLC, it will stop the liability to the to the extent of the company, but does not pass through. You can't pierce through the quote unquote corporate veil, and that's the the standard, the test that they use is, did you use separate books? So is there a separate account for the company? So here's an example. Um, I write a check to myself, or I, I take the company checkbook with me all everywhere I go, and if I need to buy groceries for the kids, I buy groceries or Christmas presents or whatever, and I just write a check right out of the company account. It's my money. What do they care? Well, that could be evidence that you've pierced the corporate, that they could pierce the corporate veil because you're really only using it for the, sh the shill factor. You're, you're making a shell company to protect you from liability, but in reality, you're using it as your own personal funds. So what are some of the other things? The detail of your books, right? I mean, if you, if you um, are buying things that are company related, but you use it for personal use all the time, but you kind of use it every now and then for the company. Well, that looks like it's really just yours and not the company's. So the idea is that you have, you know, if you have, if you have equipment, if you have tools, if you have a car or anything that's really in the company name, it should only be used for company work and that's it. But if you meddle the two things together, that can, that can look a lot like you're really just doing it as a shell and we'll pierce that corporate veil as attorneys. That's what we do. So just keep that in mind that you just have to really be aware that you're keeping things separate. So that's the big picture. Now, back to the healthcare side of things. Does it matter? Well, if I am, um, say, say for example, I buy a practice or I, I start my own practice and I am renting a building and I have all the equipment there and I have all my insurances and I'm doing everything on the up and up and I do something wrong, I'm going to have professional liability and general liability that are always going to cover me way more than what I'm going to do to somebody. I got to hope, right? So that really is going to be covered anyways. Do you get, will they ever get to you personally? Maybe, but the the problem is is that if you're acting on behalf of the company, you're still acting as as your own practitioner. So you're still personally liable as the practitioner. Now here's where your your company can kind of save you. And I've talked about this in the past with like, say you're driving down the street in your, um, in your company vehicle and you get in a wreck. Well, you weren't working as a nurse practitioner, so they can't get your malpractice insurance to kick in, but you would have a good general liability policy and an auto policy, and you would be acting on behalf of the company while you're out and about in the public. So here's a situation that you could have. If you have your practice that's established and it's a company and you have, um, say, an employee or medical assistant or a nurse that's working there with you and they slip and fall in the parking lot and they want workers' compensation and other things like that. Well, there's workers' compensation insurance that's covered. That's a different animal. But say that they don't want to do that. They, they say, I'm not filing under workers' comp. I want to be able to sue you. Um, then, then could they sue you personally? Maybe, but chances are they're going to be limited to the company, right? So that, that's, there is value to that, especially if you have 
not just yourself and you're doing you know you have employees and you've got this structure of uh, of an organization that you're building by all means you're going to want to have some formal type of you know you're not going to be a sole proprietor doing that you could but it just it would be a pain in the ass because you want the separate books you want the separate books from your own and you want the company to be able to just it's it's a separate entity don't mingle the two it protects you from that crossover liability to your personal personal life so that, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about with that one. I hope I got some information out there for you guys on that one. There's other forms of companies. There's a ton of them. There's limited liability companies, which would be an LTD, or you could be at, um, an limited liability um, partnership or an LLP. There, there was a lot. Just it was kind of trendy to do those different ones back, like in the '90s. A lot of law, law firms did LLPs and stuff, and essentially it was a partnership. Um, there, there's a lot more uh, – the, the, functionally now they all work the same, so it really doesn't matter. But back in the day before LLPs came out, there were some benefits of partnerships um, in, in just some weird nuances of the law. And, and the one that sticks out in my brain is that as a partnership in some jurisdictions, if you um, contemplated that – you were going to be sued by somebody that you could take the money from one partner and convert it to the other partner and it basically acted as a way that was legal to prevent someone from getting to the company to the partnership's assets and there's a whole bunch of other partnership rules and stuff like that 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 are different than LLCs and corporations and all that good stuff but essentially in today's day and age they all boil down to they're pretty much the same thing they'll pretty much get you to the same result and they should get you pretty close to the same thing in tax structure as well. So I wouldn't freak out about the different types of, of companies out there. LLC is, an, is a, just a tried and true way of doing it. It's a simple operating structure. The agreements are pretty easy to get your hands on on the internet that are standard. Um, the state has the pretty easy application process. You can hire an attorney to do, to do that. I've done a bunch of them and they're not hard. It's literally, um, you know, look up the name on the comp on the website, and if they it doesn't, nobody's got that name. You should have no problem filing and getting it. So that that's my suggestion on that. And if you guys have questions about this, and I know there's there's the entrepreneurial nurse practitioner board group that's out there on Facebook, and um, I see this question come up every now and then where um, it's it's what you know what company should I do, and. Um, and it's it is confusing. There are a lot of different ones, but essentially they all end up at the same place. That's the big picture. And then hopefully that gives you enough information that when you go to your lawyer, you can you can say, okay, I, I kind of want this, and the, the instead of paying them an hour and a half to sit there and explain it to you, you can at least have some basic information. You save a couple hundred bucks and say, I'm leaning towards a corporation filing as an S corp um, so that I get the tax the pass through taxation or an LLC. And they'll be like, yeah, it doesn't matter. They're the same thing. What do you want? <laughs> just get the LLC. That's just the that's the, the best way to do it. So that that's that. Now there was a couple other things that I saw on Facebook that um, that I thought were just kind of neat. And one was a great question, and it was it was kind of a happy one, right? Where somebody was talking about getting an opportunity to go meet with um, a potential employer, and they just wanted to go to dinner. And, she, and this person was like, I, I, I don't know. 
uh, it's great, but now I'm nervous because they want me to kind of pick the venue and the, her, her husband was going to go. And that's, that's kind of cool, right? I mean, it shows that they give a crap about like not just you, but your family, you know, so that's kind of, uh, kind of different, right? I, I haven't seen somebody do that before. Um, and I think that's kind of cool, but you know, the, the questions, are, this isn't going to be an interview. This is truly, uh, Hey, let's just go see if we click. And so you're going to go and you're going to have that that opportunity. And and I did one of these with one of the the nurse or it was a rheumatology group took me out to dinner and and um, it was kind of nice. It was it was it was it was nice to be wooed. <laughs> you know, I didn't really want to work there, but it was it was just nice to be liked. You know, and and you know, it's just it's an opportunity for you to talk about you and ask questions of just personal questions. Hey, you know, oh, so are you married? And you know, do you have kids? And how you know how long have you been with the with the practice or, you know, ask and, and talking to the different people while you're, you know, sitting at a table and, and eating, a, you know, a meal together is just a great way to get to know each other. And, and, um, if you're getting that opportunity, they already know that you're going to be more than competent to do the job. They already want you. So the pressure's off, but you still just need to be personable. That's the thing. And so the questions that I would ask wouldn't be necessarily related to, them as you know uh, a practice as much as it would be more related to like social stuff like so do you guys get together often outside of the office or do you guys have like a company picnic where you guys go do something or play paintball or you know go go hunting together or what, you know, whatever it is that they do that they like to do is there do you guys do that and so that kind of stuff i think would be a great type of question to ask because it's not how many patients do you see a, a day or, you know, what kind of, what do you use for this therapeutic intervention for this type of patient? I mean, yeah, that's not really what they're wanting to talk about when they take you out to dinner. At least that's not my perception. Now, if they take it and steer it that way, then just roll with it. Just do whatever, you know, talk about whatever they're talking about. But most of the time they're talking about their hobbies and, oh, Joe over there bikes every year in some kind of competition with his, with his you know, touring bike. And, 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 and uh, Jan loves riding on Harleys and stuff. Whatever, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what the topic is. It's just it's whatever they want to talk about. So be prepared to talk about the things that you enjoy. Um, or did enjoy before you spent all your time and money in, in, in P school, right? So what, what, are the, what are your hobbies? Those are the, the big picture things that people are going to talk about. Now, where to pick a venue? Anywhere quiet. Just get something small. Don't go to you know Olive Garden where it's noisy and clinking and, and you can hear the kitchen noise and all that stuff. You want to be able to hear everybody. So little Italian places that are just you know quaint but nice, higher end. Don't go chain-type restaurants. Um, steak, seafood, somebody had that comment. That's a great idea too. I would just go with something that's more general. So that way, if somebody hates seafood, um, then, you know, it's not just about you. You want to try to pick somewhere that's kind of, you know, Italian's great because you can get a steak or you can get pasta or you can get chicken or you can eat something like that. That's real general. So I, that's what I would do. I would just pick a general place and American dining or whatever. Nothing real, you know, I wouldn't pick Indian food or anything because you just don't know if everybody's going to like that. And uh, so I would just go with something that's bland. Now, alcohol, this is a question that's going to come up because there's going to be people that, you know, if they're familiar with each other and they, they um, hang out often, they, they're very well probably going to order a drink or two at the, at the meal. I would recommend not. That's just me. I, I, you know, I, I have a half a glass of wine or two or, uh, you know, um, a beer with dinner, whatever. 
and you you know this isn't with your buddies yet. You still got to be on your best behavior. So I I wouldn't drink the wine if you do get the glass of wine and they insist, only have a couple sips of it and then and then um, you know until they have some of theirs and they loosen up a little bit and then you have a, you know a little bit. But I I just wouldn't I wouldn't want to look sloppy. That's just me personally. So I would stay away from the alcohol if you can avoid it. Stay away from it. Don't do it at the dinner. So that's my recommendations on that one. And then there was only other one other thing that um, I had I had a, um, an exchange with somebody, and it was in response to the um, the working in the ER uh, show I did yesterday. And it was a person that 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 emailed and said, you know, I, I find it offensive that you you know if if you listen to that show or if you haven't yet, go listen to that one. And and I made a joke in there where um, I said, I'm going to spread a rumor. And my point wasn't that I was going to spread a rumor because I had no knowledge. I was admitting I had no knowledge. And it was it was purely my speculation. So it was all my opinion. I was trying to be funny, you know. And so she got a little offended on that. And that's okay because, you know, that's that's some people are going to get offended by things. And you know what? I can't control that. So, you know, if you're offended by something I say, tell me. I, I probably won't change me. But, um, you know, I'm... Eh. I don't care, you know. I mean, it's I, I'm just I'm being me. It's, I'm not going to lie about it. But anyways, the the big picture there was that the, this this person was. It seemed to me that that she was ex- explaining why she didn't get her certification um, in acute care, and and it was done in a way that it was by saying that there's too many NPs out there that are doing procedures that they shouldn't be doing. And I, here's my philosophy on that. If you're certified to do a procedure, do the procedure. <laughs> if you've been trained on that procedure and, and you know, just because you're an FNP and you haven't been trained on it and you have to steer away from some things, if you get trained on it and you're an FNP, do the procedure. It's, it's not acting like you're, you know, a gung-ho, you know, jumping in and doing things you're not supposed to be doing. But you should be doing things that you're you're competent in. And that's not going to get you in trouble with your board. That's the whole point. And so it was like a long email exchange. And I, and I appreciated it because it was interesting, her perspective. But I, I think that, you know, if you don't feel comfortable doing it and you're not trained in it and you're acting within the scope of your practice, and if it's outside of your scope of practice, don't do it. <laughs> it's that simple. The question was, at least in Ohio, that, you know, you don't know what the scope of practice is, what the board is going to deem within or outside the scope of practice. That's the point. So what do you do? Uh, my recommendation was get certified because it's going to be the best thing to protect you. That doesn't mean that you have to. It just means that you're going to, you know, I would not want to have that worry hanging over my head even after I'm done working in the ED and go work in a family practice and somebody, you know, three years from now comes up and says you killed grandma because you didn't, you weren't trained appropriately and you were going to lose your license over something that happened in the I just wouldn't want that hanging over my head. That was my point on that one. And so I appreciate the comment on it, and uh, and the exchange was interesting, and I actually invited her to be on the show once I could figure out how to do Skype and, and maybe have some perspective on that because it was a good point. You know, some some people are too gung-ho, and I agreed. I said, yeah. Uh, you know, one of my good buddies is working in the ED without a certification. And, ah, he's just like, he loves what he does, and I get that, but you got to be careful too, you know. So that was the other one that that was kind of popped up there, and uh, 
I thought it was a good exchange. And I had one other one that was an email that came in, and it was about um, Senate Bill, it's Ohio Senate Bill 319. And I went and read it through it this morning real quick because, you know, I was like, I don't know anything about 319. And what it basically does is it's, uh, it, it's not a mirror image per se, but it's very close to what the CARA law d- did for federal with respect to opiate addiction. And what it did was it was intended to open up more state uh, resources and um, some guidelines for um, opiate treatment in Ohio. And and it was in there, and, it, and it, I read through it looking for it with an ear towards nurse practitioners, and I didn't see anything in there about nurse practitioners. It was all geared towards, you know, if you own a facility, then you can give out, you know, you you can treat and you can but you got to have the ownership and all that stuff of the of the company and so it's just it, it sounded like more restrictions than anything but i think they had funding tied to some of the programs um and i think that was the intent was to get more funding out there to help with with some of these opiate treatment programs so that was that was another one it was really interesting it's just I, I don't know how it really tied into us and and uh the person said you know it's, it doesn't make any sense that we can't own part of the company to do uh treatment opioid treatment uh and i didn't see anything about nurse practitioners in there so i don't know if that's true or not but but um they said that we could do suboxone in ohio and i'm like i don't think so i and i still don't think they've done it yet so i think we're still in limbo on the suboxone um in the last i heard actually which was a a letter from the board of nursing that oaapn published and it basically said that there were they were um, waiting for the CPG who does the the uh, formulary to come up with their new rule. And what they ended up doing was they kicked the whole thing back to HHS director, which they just finally got one, right? So we, we now have a, a U.S. Health and Human Services director, and we'll see what he does, right? He's, a, he's an orthopedic surgeon, I believe, right? Isn't that the guy? I think that's the guy. And he's not real, you know, I don't, I, most orthopods aren't great with addiction, understanding it they usually give tons of percocets and stuff they they want people comfy so i'm not sure that's the best person to really be handling opiate addiction uh issues under the care law but they have another year almost a whole another year um yeah because it was 18 months from july of 2016 and we're still we're in we're just almost into into march right so we still have plenty of time for the health and human services director to get their act and get it together and mandate how they're gonna gonna enforce the care law and come up with their plans so we got plenty of plenty of time right as people are dying every 18 minutes someone's dying of an overdose in the country that's the statistic i just heard that one on uh the uh, buprenorphine training, waiver training. So that's all I had for today. A couple of neat things to think about. And uh, keep the comments and questions coming, guys. I, I really do appreciate it. I'm having a lot of fun. And uh, you can always get me at jeff at the npdude.com. Don't forget to, to like and share the Facebook page. And uh, you guys have been picking up on that, too, and I appreciate it. The other thing is I did get a couple emails from people saying, hey, I listen on iTunes. So thanks for doing that, guys. Keep those emails coming, though, because I want to know. I, there's really no good way for me to track iTunes downloads. So don't forget to just shoot me an email or put me a comment or message me through Facebook. I'm getting people doing all all of those, all of the above, and uh, I think that seems to be working. So 
Keep the questions and comments coming. I appreciate it, and we'll talk soon.